gospel message, essentially. This is why I am here. Last week, we talked about Jesus bringing together the disciples, the group of boys um, who uh, would, would change the world um, through the power of God. They would change the world forever. And, uh, and so we, we get to this point where we have the disciples gathered together and we listed them last week. And um, how many of you this week can name them all by memory? Really, did I do nothing for you last week if not say they would have known the entire, you know, the entire book of everything and you can't even remember 12 names. Just kidding. Um, that was my guilt for the day. I am a little bit Jewish, so every now and then the, the, the guilt comes out. Uh, so we uh, get to the point where you have these guys that no one else wanted. We know this because they weren't following another rabbi, so they weren't good enough to follow other rabbis. They're doing the profession as any Jewish boy would have done. Jesus calls them, and now he sends them. And, and this, is, this is a big deal to be sent. It's a big deal to be called to a rabbi. Because in truth, what would normally happen is you would go and find a rabbi. And you would say, hey, can I study under you? But this was the reverse. Jesus went to these guys and said... Will you come be my disciple? Will you come and be like me? And he was putting together this team that he would then send out. And now we get to the point where he sends them. And he doesn't just send He's like, okay, you know, at the end of Hill Street Blues, y'all be careful out there. He sends them with instructions. Chapter 10, verse 5 is where we are. Jesus sent the 12 disciples out with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money with you. Don't carry a traveler's bag with an extra coat and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy man and stay in his home until you leave for the next town. When you're invited into someone's home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be worthy, let your blessing stand. If it's not, take your blessing back. If a village doesn't welcome you or listen to you, shake off the dust of that place from your feet and you, as you leave. I assure you, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off on the judgment day than this place will be. Can you see the disciples sitting together? I can just see like John and Bartholomew sitting next to each other. And they're like, you know, maybe the younger ones. John was clearly the youngest, but kind of messing around. He's like, wait, what did you say about a cloak? Do we take an extra cloak? What, do what? Hey, could you repeat that? Is there going to be a test on this, Jesus? Because what? A lot of information right there. He just throws out. And we read through this and see different things that may jump out to you. And you're like, wow, that doesn't seem right. Wow, that's a little strange. But to these boys, to these disciples, they would have known what he was talking about. There's a lot of cultural influence that's going through this passage. A lot of it has to do with what they would have been familiar with. You have him, um, let's skip the first part about don't go into the Gentiles and stuff, because that's just scary, um, since we're Gentiles. Give as freely as you have received. This was a common practice for a rabbi. A rabbi would never have charged. In fact, he was prevented to charge for his teachings. Under the law of the Mishnah and other things, you were not supposed to charge for your teachings. 
Only one exception. If you were teaching young children whose parents should have been teaching them, but you took on that responsibility, that's when you could be paid. But on the flip side of that, Jesus says, don't take anything, any extra thing with you. Accept the hospitality. On the flip side of not charging, it was the community's responsibility to take care of the rabbi. It was the responsibility of the community to feed and clothe and house the teachers. That was their job. It was completely understood. If you see throughout all of Paul's ministry, he, contis- he continually gets uh, funding from different churches and different places who send him gifts so that he can do his job. So Jesus says all this and they're like, okay, we get that. We're cool with that. I'm down with that. Don't take anything with you. Just go. Now, I want to jump back to the Gentile thing because I don't want to gloss over that. It doesn't sound like something Jesus would say. Don't go to these people. Only go to the Jews. They're God's people. Now, there's different interpretations of, of what happened and how this verse is in there. Some people say that it was included later by people who were against Paul going to the Gentiles. If you remember, when Paul eventually goes to the Gentiles, there's a big fight about it. No, we can't go to those people. And yet, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, and in fact, in Matthew 28, when Jesus sends us all out, what does he say? Go to all nations, everywhere. So what's this word, what's this line, this verse doing in here? Well, I think it could be William Barclay says it's so crazy that Jesus must have said it. It sounds so unlike something that Jesus would have said that it must, therefore, be something he said. Now, why did he say it? I, I think in part because he knew that the disciples could only do so much. He knew that they weren't prepared to go into Samaria and where all the other places were. Why? Because they had lived their life in this little place. They weren't ready to go somewhere else. They didn't know how to interact with other people. They knew about Orthodox Jews. And they could do a world of good there. They needed to build something strong. If he sent them out, six groups out in vast, far reaches, they would not have been nearly as affected. Effective as staying right together as a group, a powerful community, sharing the love of God, not just teaching about the love of God. Because it is more effective to show someone about God's love than to tell them about God's love. And so that takes time. And if you water it down, you're not going to be nearly as effective as if you just stay close. So they weren't ready. Jesus said, don't spread yourself too thin and wait for the people, essentially, who can go. Wait for the Pauls of the world who know about that outside culture that you have no knowledge of. Wait for the people who know the language of Africa before you go to Africa. Wait for the people who know the customs of Costa Rica and know the communities of Costa Rica and the things that are okay and not okay before you go to Costa Rica. Too many times have missionaries from America gone to another country and expected those people to act as they act. Well, why aren't you acting like Americans? Because we're not. 
How come you don't enjoy our 18th century hymns that Charles Wesley wrote? Because it doesn't, it's not even in our language. It does not our beat. When Daryl and I many years ago went to Guyana, we went, uh, Jenna was on that trip as well, and, and we go into this uh, place called Plaisance. And uh, Guyana, if you don't know, is in South America. It's an English-speaking country. Um, it's, they kind of speak a Creole. They, they, uh, it's English. Um, but you can communicate with them um, very well. And uh, wonderful country, desperately poor. And so we go into this area of Plaisance, which was, if not the poorest, one of the poorest areas in um, the capital city of Georgetown. And we go to this school, and, and Daryl and I have our guitars, and we're going to be leading worship. Well, Daryl's going to be leading worship. I'm going to play the part of Jeff on the side playing the guitar. Um, and so we, we do this, and we bring some of our worship songs there. And it was great, and they were into it and stuff like that. But when they taught us their songs, whew, it rocked. When they said, that's great. But let's throw some of our Guyanese at you. And let's start singing the way we sing. And then you should see the way the Spirit was just unleashed in these kids and these adults because we were connecting with them. And so I think what Jesus is saying right here is don't go until you're ready to go. Don't go into some area that you're culturally not ready for, that you have no idea what's going on. And don't try to force something on someone because that's not going to work. So he set them up to, to, to stay in one little area, this area that was ripe for his message. And he tells them to go and heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. He gives them, essentially, his power. If you go further into Matthew 28, he does this again. All authority under heaven is given to me, and I give it to you. Now go do as I do. Go and do these things. Now some scholars will kind of throw this under the rug and say, well, you know, raising the dead, if you give somebody, if you bring somebody to Jesus and they have eternal life, and so in essence, you're really raising them from the dead, blah, 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 blah. Why are you scared of somebody having the power of God and healing? Let me tell you, that power exists. Now, I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. I've heard stories. I've heard stories of, there's a man in our community that, that, that died, doesn't go to our church, but in our community that, that died. And came back to life. Had this amazing experience. I've seen people healed. My daughter has been healed many times. Not 100%, but it happens. There have been people from this community who have come to our house and laid hands on her. Who have anointed her with oil. Who have done things, not of themselves, but allowing God to work through them. I'm not scared of this. Jesus gives us this power. For too long, we have held it inside. For too long, we have been scared of pushing people away and doing something that makes them uncomfortable when, in truth, we should be getting in their face and bringing the love of Christ with us. God is so much more powerful than we give him credit for because we hold it back and hold it to ourselves. And what Jesus did here with his disciples is, I have power, I'm giving it to you, now go and use it. If you remember in the book of Acts, when Peter is walking, it says that people tried to get in his shadow. In the shadow of Peter, because the power of God was so prevalent in his life that just being in his shadow would bring God's touch. Man, 
I think the only thing you can get from my shadow is shade. That is some power that I want to hold. And not because it's going to do anything for me, but whew, how awesome would it be to be in a moment where God is working? So he sends him out and he says, don't take these things with you. Leave the world behind as you go in to the scene. Then there's this whole talk of uh, going into somebody's house, giving them your blessing. If they're not worthy, take it back. I remove my blessing from your home. It's like a Monty Python skit, isn't it? Uh, but this is still a practice today in the Middle East. This is something that's very common. They would have known that you give a blessing. And that is a big deal to enter someone's home and to bless their home. Huge deal. To take it back. Also a big deal. He's setting up this thing. If somebody doesn't get it, shake the dust off of your feet as you leave. This is a cultural practice that would have happened. These Jews would have been very familiar with. If you go into another pagan or Gentile land, as you come back home into Galilee, you physically shake the dust off of your feet so that you will not bring the pollution into God's land. It's a physical practice. And what he is saying is, if people don't get it, don't waste your time. Move on. There are too many people who need to know my love. Sometimes a dead horse is dead. It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah, he says. Ooh. Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are not two names you associate with goodness. Those are two names that you associate with tremendous evil. God wipes them from the face of the earth. He sends his messengers there. They reject him. And he wipes them from the face of the earth. But they never had the opportunity to hear about Christ. They never had the opportunity to hear the gospel message. So that's what he's setting up there. So you have all of this stuff. The disciples get these instructions. And then a little bit later, starting at verse 16, which will be next week, he goes, and it's going to be tough. But he gives them all these instructions. And what do I take from this? Because, uh, let's face it, it's not a cultural practice for me to shake dust off of my feet when I leave Austin. Or Houston. Or somewhere else. I'm not trying to get into college sports. I just, you know. It's not a practice for me to do some of the things that Jesus is talking about. And it's not in my cultural norm, some of the things that were so resonating in their lives. But what is, is God. I have God in my life. I have the power of the Spirit in my life. When I accepted Christ, the Spirit was unleashed inside of me. Now, a lot of times I hold it back. A lot of times I put a box over it. I put it in a little closet and say, thank you, Jesus. Stay right here and I'll come back to you when I need you. And yet what he's doing is get out of your own way and let me in. Get out of my way and let me use you as a vessel for my glory. Be a part of my work on earth. Heal someone. Bring someone eternal life. Be my hands and feet in this world. God called all of us who have accepted Christ to be his disciple. He called all of us to go into the world and bring his love with us. Now, not all of you have been called to 
full-time ministry. Not all of you have been called to missionary work or, or hospice work. Oh, man, those people are saints. But you've all been called. You've all been called to share the love of God where you are in the way that God has gifted you. And if you're not answering that call, if you're ignoring the call, if you're declining, you're missing God. Let me tell you that one of the greatest experiences of my life is allowing God to work through me. Is allowing God, I set aside my walls and, and the things that, I, that keep me away from God and I just let him come through. Those are the moments that blow my mind. Those of you that know me at all know that my least favorite place probably in the world to be is a hospital. I don't like hospitals at all. Um, it's a germ thing. Um, I just, I walk into a hospital and I like have these little lenses that go on and I can see germs everywhere. And they're all looking at me and wanting to attack me. And I, I love the, the hospitals have now put in the hand sanitizer um, every like eight feet. Every eight feet I hit them, you know. I kill them on that. So if you're a hospital administrator, uh, I'm sorry your budget has gone up. Because of that, it is me. I, I don't like going to hospitals. In fact, so much so that they really took me out of the hospital rotation with the pastors. Um, most of the pastors go to hospital visits when somebody is there. If a New Heights person is there, I will go. But if a sanctuary person is there, somebody that just calls in wants a pastor, they usually send it to one of the other pastors. There are times, however, when I go into a situation that I am not ready for. There was a time a few years ago, five or six years ago now, that I, I received a call from a mother. And they were going to take her daughter off of life support. And she wanted me to be there. And I'm like, um, wow, I got a lunch. That's. I have I have Corbin and I'm a little busy. Um, I'm sorry for your no. I went. When a mother calls you and her daughter who is dying way before her time is dying and she needs you to be there, you go. You break the walls of your weirdness down, and you walk into the room. So I go to the hospital. I go into this ICU unit. I, I walk into the room and it was a woman who I knew. A woman who I knew before her disease, during her disease, and at the end. I didn't know her mom very well, except on the times that she would come into town. She lived out of state and visit. And she would come up after church and shake my hand and say, thank you so much. And I said, thank you, too. And that was about the extent of it. But she felt enough connected to me, or she felt like I was the only person she could call, that she called me. So I go into the room, and I sit down. I don't know what to do. I'm like 32. The ink on my seminary degree is still wet. I'm like, wow, I'm not a dad yet. I don't understand that aspect of it, but I can't imagine. And I walk into this room and the doctors are there and, you know, you kind of walk in. I have my little badge on that says I'm a pastor because that way nobody asks me questions and I just walk in and. 
and there's some sense of authority that comes with me. And I don't want it because I don't want to be in the room. And yet I sat down in a chair beside the mother and I held the mother's hand and I held the woman's hand. And the doctors did their thing. And we sat there. I don't know what I said. I know I said something. I know I prayed. I have no idea what it was. Because at that moment, I stepped aside. Because I knew I couldn't handle it. But God called me to be in there. And I allowed him to use me. It was an amazing experience. It it was uh, something that I can't even tangibly get my mind around. To know that God was moving through me to this woman who was about to see him face to face and to his mo- her mother who was desperate to see him too. God used me to be him in that moment. When God calls us to do something, if we say no, we miss him. We miss Him moving. We miss the experience of being in the presence of God like never before. Now look, not all of you are going to be called into some ICU room and to be there a moment like that. But you might be called to the cubicle next door to yours. You might be called down the hall to your child's bedroom. You might be called across the street. Wherever God is calling you, be there. And let Him be in you. Because there is nothing like that experience. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being in our lives. God, we thank you for the the power that you unleash in us as we accept you as our Savior, the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that in those moments where we don't feel like we have anything to say, you give us words. In those moments where we don't feel like we can stand, you lift us up. God, you use each one of us in the ways that you have gifted us to be your hands and feet. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are in our life calling. Let us answer. In the name of Jesus, we pray.